Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And today we're on part three of a three-part series talking about a brand new resource, uh, a brand new book, in fact, authored by Dr. Tim Elmore called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. So, Tim, do you want to give us a quick refresher on what these paradoxes are all about? Yeah. My premise is we're leading in complex times, and so we can't be either-or leaders, either tough or tender, nice or mean. You know, I'm being silly now, but we've got to uh, balance paradoxes in our social and emotional skills, skill set. And as leaders, uh, we need to recognize that our followers are way too savvy for us just to be this way or that way. So I spotted eight paradoxes, and we're going to do one of them today, and we're going to apply it to the world of education, even though it applies to any leader Absolutely. at any in any place. In fact, I think this one is really <laughs> applicable in the world of education, yeah. especially in the wake of the pandemic. So uh, the, the beginning, though, how you thought of this one was actually you thinking about how we often talk about leadership. Do you want to start us there? Yeah. Depending on the context in which we lead, we might approach our leadership role a little differently. Yeah. For instance, I'll give you a handful of examples. So there are electoral leaders that would be like a government leader in the United States where they're voted upon, they're representatives, and so they can't just dictate. They've got to make sure that, you know, people are feeling good, we have a majority vote, et cetera. So they lead by consensus. Yeah. Uh, Another kind of leader would be a charismatic leader. Down through history, we've seen a number of men and women who just lead through chemistry. They just have a personality that's magnetic, and you just want to go with this guy, you know, or go with this gal that seems to know what they're doing. So they lead through through chemistry. The third kind of leader that I would, uh, and and this isn't all of them, but the rhetorical leader who really leads through their communication. This Mm -hmm. would be a Dr. King. Even though he did many great things as a leader, he led with his words. We still quote him to this day, 60 years later. Um, And then the fourth kind really is the kind that we're going to talk about today. It's the radical leader. And they lead through conviction. Mm. They're a little bit different in that they're often seen by outsiders as very narrow. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know if I could go with that one, you know? Yeah. Because they're so assured that this must be done, whatever yeah. this is, whatever cause or, or product must be sold or whatever. So the radical leader is this narrow leader that leads through conviction. And we're going to focus on a lady today that I think embodied this perfectly. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. You, uh, you I've, I've heard you talk about leadership as there are some people who are summoned to lead almost. Yeah. Like they feel like their yeah. act of leadership is, is almost a calling, right? Yeah. And it sounds like that's what we're talking about today. No doubt about it. So our example today Please, yeah. is a woman we've all read in our American history books. Oh, gosh, 150 years ago, it was Harriet Tubman. Yeah. This tiny lady who was a slave in the South. Actually, it was in Maryland. We were yeah. just talking about this. And she, she escaped her, her slavery. She, she escaped to freedom, yeah. but knew she couldn't just stay in freedom alone. She had to go back. And so she developed this thing we call the Underground Railroad. She called it the Underground Railroad. But it was this pathway, this secret pathway, where she led hundreds of slaves to freedom after she was story. free herself. But you know she couldn't have done that. In an electoral vote, that yeah. would have gone over well. I'm looking for people who yeah. will agree with my position That's on this. That's right. right. And it yeah. could have just been charisma or, you know, or just, I'm going to make a great speech. You'll get inspired. She, it was her conviction that made people go, I must go with you and yeah. I must get out of here. Yeah. So 
Anyway, she was brilliant. So if I were to describe, Andrew, this radical leader like she was, um, it, here's the descriptor I would give. Okay. First of all, um, they're reformers. In many ways, they're reforming from one mediocre place or less than optimal place to a more optimal place. So they don't look for consensus, but they form consensus. They're yeah, so strong that's true. that people go, okay, I agree, you know, yes. that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they know what's important and won't compromise on the the, the handful of values and they isn't have. That's so important today. Yes. I just feel like there's compromise everywhere. We yeah. need leaders who are just like this. We do. You're right. Uh, they care less about being liked and more about being respected. Yeah. Which, listeners, if you're a parent right now, that that's apropos that's for a teenage important. son yeah. or daughter. Um, they're passionate about convictions because the stakes are high. Yeah. They don't lead a cause to get more rubber bands in the, you know, in the office. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But they're, they, they've chosen a cause. Like for her, getting people, human beings, that we said all men are created equal, you yeah. know, uh, to, to freedom. So the stakes were high, and she thought, I am going to pay whatever price I've got to pay. So they've got very, very, they're very, very passionate. They set the standards high because the cause is so important. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they recognize that to retain followers, let's say teammates in our case, they have to also offer gracious forgiveness. Mm. So the paradox, Andrew, is, and this really is a paradox, because usually, listeners, I think you'd agree, you're one or the other. Yeah. They set high standards and yet offer gracious forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Let, let me say that again. They set high standards and yet offer gracious forgiveness. I can think back on my past and think, boy, I know a lot of leaders I was under high standards, but it was almost like I'm scared. Yeah, It's so high. I don't want to be I around don't know that, that I'll measure up, yeah. and they're going to be ticked off if I don't, and I better, I better quit before I'm fired, you know, that sort of thing. But I also know leaders that are very graciously forgiving all the time, and while I like it, I don't know if I became my best self. Yeah. They were so forgiving. I thought, I don't even need to try. They're going to yeah. be fine, you know? Yeah. And, and so somewhere in the middle is a great leader. And yeah. that's what Harriet Tubman, I think, in her own unique context, helping slaves out of, out of slavery, she modeled this for us. Uh, I love that. I love that. Well, um, there's probably several examples you can point to before we kind of go on and, yeah. and double-click on the paradox itself. Talk about a little bit how... Harriet embodied this. You hinted at it a yeah. little bit, but I'd love for you to give a couple examples. Well, I'm guessing for our listeners, it's been a while since you read your history book from eighth <laughs> yeah. grade, so yes. let's blow the dust off here. Let me just, in a rat-a-tat-tat sort of way, just remind you of some of the really amazing episodes from her time as a slave and then also as a uh, as a Underground Railroad conductor. Yeah. So um, early on in her life, she tried to stop the beating of a fellow slave, and she was hit in the head by a heavy weight. Wow. Oh, it was just atrocious. She fell to the ground, cracked her skull. Uh, and yet, she said from that day on, she prayed for her perpetrator. Unbelievable. Now, I think if it might, I'd be mad at my perpetrator from that day on. So she's, her skull is cracked. In fact, she had spells all through the rest of her life because of that... Leftover from that injury. That, that injury, yeah, right. Wow. So while rescuing slaves, Harriet would, would from time to time pull a gun on a fearful uh, slave that said, I don't know if I can do this. You're going to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? So just the opposite of what we just heard. She's And, and of course, she did, had no intention of shooting the gun, yeah. but she wanted to say, I'm them. If you leave this pack, you're going to get us all in trouble. Yeah. We're all going to get captured. Yeah. We're all going to maybe get killed. So you're going to stay with us, Bob. You know, you're, you're with <laughs> us on this one. I don't know why Bob made his way into the story here. 
Um, but but she forgave them when they recommitted. And they said, I'm sorry. I yeah, I'm sorry. Been I'm sorry. You. Okay, you're in. You're yeah. in. So they, they knew this, this mother figure let me back in. Um, she once came face to face with a bounty hunter. Ooh. So she had a bounty on her life. And yeah. there were several people from the Confederates, uh, from the Confederate States that were going after her. And uh, she found herself face to face and he had a gun in his hand. She shot the gun right out of his hand. Whoa. I mean, this is like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, in a, in a I feel movie. like I'm listening to a Western That's right, right now. Yeah. So um, they're now face to face. She's got a gun, he doesn't. She lets him go. Wow. To this day, we still don't know why she did. Because she, she could have thought, this guy's going to find me. And yeah. he, now we, I'm really in trouble. Uh, but I'm telling you, there's this very interesting paradox going on all the time of, of high standards and gracious forgiveness. Wow. One other um, quick example I'll give before we kind of talk about the paradox. Um, she fought slavery tooth and nail all through her life, but often would pray for the slave owners to see what she saw. Wow. So it wasn't just you're now an alienated. She, she got mad. Yeah. But it was just, and, and I, again, listen, I don't know what you think about prayer, but here was a woman that faith played a role in her life, and she felt so strongly it drove her yeah. to, to forgiveness and to say, I want you to see what I see. She was so convicted about the injustice mm-hmm. and the issue that mm-hmm. she was yeah. passionate about for all the reasons, obviously, that she should be that she even wanted the perpetrators of that to come to believe the same things that she yeah. did. What yeah. a remarkable example. Yeah. The more I studied her life, and I just have a chapter in the book on her, but it's loaded with stories. It's going to be fun to read. I'm telling you, I just admired. She never, she wasn't perfect, never claimed to be perfect. In fact, she was a tiny human being. I think she was like 4'10", 4'11". Wow. So she was probably smaller than most of the people she led. Yeah. But that didn't stop this stick of dynamite to do what she needed to do to get the job done. It mm-hmm. was powerful. So this, the paradox here, as you've said before, is high standards and gracious yes. forgiveness. Yeah. Break this down for us, what that would look like for us today. Okay. So here's a, here's a summary as best I can. And feel free to to add, because I know you've thought about this too, Andrew. These uncommon leaders that model this, this paradox are sticklers for excellence, mm. demanding sometimes more than team members feel they can even offer. Yeah. I've been under, I, well, I've worked under John Maxwell. There were times I thought, I don't know that I can do that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to do it because yeah. he thought I could. Yeah. So um, they, they demand more from team members than they feel they can even offer. In this sense, they're almost inhuman. Mm. So hold on to that word. Their, their high standards separate their organization from others who can only emulate their great products or services. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, they have over-the-top benchmarks that put them in a league all of their own. Companies like Apple, uh, Zappos, Amazon, Google, we think about those, but we think about those as pace setters. Yeah. That's what these high-standard leaders um, are. But at the same time, these leaders balance their standards with a grace to forgive errors made by those team members, mm. to offer mercy to those who fall short, empowering them to recover and later rise to the occasion. Yeah. So the forgiveness actually enabled the person to rise up and meet that standard. This makes them human. Yeah. So did you notice I use inhuman and human? Yeah. This high standard of gracious forgiveness, I actually did see this from time to time in John Maxwell. I just thought, oh my gosh, he holds this high stand. But I knew, 
I can stretch for this because I know he's going to be fine. Yeah, he's going to be mad, and yeah. we're going to learn from it. <laughs> but but we're but we're going to get there, and yeah. that just pulled out the best in me. Yeah, and that's Isn't what that's Harry Tubman. So did. true. If we all think back to the best leaders we yeah. have, we've ever you know been under. We want somebody who is calling us to greatness. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, we've uh, the opposite of that. I often call it can- cotton candy leadership. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, it's really sweet. And if you have yeah. too much of it, it's just like, that's what right. are we doing here? Yeah, you know? that's right. Uh, and I feel like far too often leaders aren't calling us up to that excellence. But if you've got that leader who's a little too intense. It can go so far that you also don't want to follow that leader because you know because you know I don't really want to push myself yeah. in that kind of leader's shadow because there's no room for forgiveness if I don't quite rise to the occasion. And yeah. so you're exactly right. When I think about the best leaders I've ever mm-hmm. seen or ever been under, uh, they're people who fit that category. So let's apply this to the school campus, okay? I know a lot of our listeners are in the world of education or parenting or whatever. Um, when team members... Uh, if you're an administrator, or students, if you're a teacher in a classroom, know that their leader holds high standards, yet is willing to forgive mistakes, I think it frees them to push themselves, take appropriate risks, and initiate when they might not normally, they might not normally hold back and just play it safe. This is a very risk-averse generation of students. We have made them this way because we're so scared of their safety, for their safety and, and so forth. But I'm telling you, this leader, this teacher or leader that does this just makes a student perform over the top. Uh, so leaders with high expectations and a capacity to forgive mistakes cause people to perform out of devotion. Mm. I want you to lock that word in, devotion. They're now devoted to getting to this goal because they respect you so much and they want to they do it. These are the two most common factors, duty and devotion. If you're just having high standards, people just feel dutiful, Yeah. but they're scared. I have to do this. Yeah. yeah. If it's high standards and forgiveness, oh, I love you, teacher. Yeah. I, don't we want to hear that? Yeah. Or I love you, principal, or I, whatever, and I, and I want to come through out of, out of devotion. Mm. So forgiveness is the emotional connection that allows a leader to hold high standards, gain effort, and not lose their followers in the process. I love that. Forgiveness is the emotional connection yeah. that allows a leader to hold high standards. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so true. Well, and not lose their... Fa- so Harriet Tubman would have lost a bunch because everybody got scared on, on en route to New yeah. York And it's or a whatever. big risk, honestly. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was. But she held on to them. Um, yeah, it was just an amazing story. I love so that. So when I think back about my school experience as a, as a kid, as a student in school, I can think of um, some of my teachers, not all, not all, but some. So listeners, you don't know any of these people, but let me just uh, rattle them off really quickly. So early on, Mrs. Mayo in elementary school was this. I wanted to please her. I've spoken about her on this podcast yeah. before. Um, Mrs. Mayo held a high standard. She would tell me, I'm expecting more of you, Timothy. She'd say that. Or you're better than that. I mean, yeah. she'd say that. But I also knew, I knew she loved me as a kid. And, and she was going to, so I, I, again, here's this paradox. Uh, Mr. Cook, early in high school, just, oh my gosh, high standard, gracious forgiveness. He had a warmth about him that just made me not even see him as a teacher, but like an uncle. And he was at a public high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Mosher, my junior and senior year, I had him for English classes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I don't even know where to begin. But I was drawn to him, and I wanted to be like him. 
and he was twice my he was older than my parents. Yeah. He he was really really came out of retirement to teach and I'm so glad he did. I was the beneficiary of that. And then Mrs. Ballard, I'm going back in time now to second grade. Oh my gosh. I was fallen behind. I think I was distracted by girls, but that's a whole other podcast for another week. Uh, but uh, Mrs. Ballard would not let me off the hook. You're going to do this test again. You're going to do it. I know it's in you. You're going to do that. You're going to spell this. And I did. And I became a really good speller. But I needed Mrs. Ballard mm. to say, I'm not going to let you become a lesser version of yourself. I love that. Yeah. And these are, you know, I'm not making any comments on your age, but... It's been a while since yeah, you were under right. the, the tutelage of these yeah. folks, and you're still remembering their name, not necessarily because of what they taught you, but how they taught you. Yeah. And I think, what a great example of this. In one sense, Andrew, this is a picture or a an illustration of one of our habitudes, yeah. the Golden Gate Paradox. Yeah. Uh, folks, I don't know if you know the, the, building, the story of the building of the Golden Gate Bridge, but it actually uh, started to be built in the beginning of the Great Depression, 1933, and then it went on for a number of years. But because it was the Great Depression, there were a lot of people in San Francisco that weren't bridge builders or engineers that said, I need work, I'm going to sign up to do this. Yep. Well, so here are these ordinary people working on this feat of engineering, yeah. but got really scared because, again, they weren't used to being working up at really uh, big heights and so forth. And so um, typically, it was very, very common to lose people on a job like this. People would fall or plunge to their death in the valley or the, the river below, or the bay below in this case. Yeah. So um, there was a foreman by the name of Strauss that said, after talking to his workers, and they were saying, I'm a little scared, and work is slowing down because I'm scared. I'm paying more attention to my survival than my success. Mm. He said, all right, we're going to stop work. And by the way, stopping work meant they might miss their deadline and they might not be on budget. Which is a pretty big deal during the Great Depression. That's right. Yeah. But here's why they might not be on budget. He spent a few hundred thousand dollars, and that was a lot back then, yeah. to put a safety net underneath the workers of the Golden Gate Bridge. Huh. Ironically, this is why I call it the Golden Gate Paradox, work sped up. And they finished on time and on budget because they didn't have to pay them for extra days. And here's why it sped up. Now they could, they know if I fall, I'm going to have a safety net under me. I'm paying attention to getting this bolt into the metal. And they got done. And I'm thinking, what a picture. Yeah. This is us, teachers, principals, administrators, counselors. If we can put a safety net there and then say, let's get this bridge built. Yeah. But they know I'm, you're, I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. I don't know if, there, if there's anything like that. And I don't always live up to this, but boy, do I want to. I love that. I believe the uh, people who fell off the bridge and were caught by that net called themselves the Halfway to Hell Club. <laughs> they did. But That's that true. was the group of people who understood this principle maybe better mm -hmm. than anybody, what it felt like to work really hard and to get caught when you fall. They went home to their spouse and said, honey, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah. yeah. So... So um, what I've done in the last episode is I kind of give two columns to yeah, our listeners. Let's do it if you again. don't mind, I want to do it again. So listeners, as you're uh, listening here, I know you're not probably taking notes, but I'm going to give you two columns. So imagine, if you will, two columns. Uh, the left-hand column is going to be entitled, When I Set High Standards. And then the right-hand column is going to be called, When I Offer Forgiveness, okay? Mm. So when I, hit, when I set high standards, I challenge others to strive for excellence. Yeah. When I offer forgiveness, I enable others to take risks along the way because yeah. there's a net down there. Yep. When I set high standards, I empower people to perform better than they thought they could. 
when I offer forgiveness, I encourage people to push harder, mm. again, because they know I'll be forgiven. When I set high standards, no one settles for mediocre outcomes. Yeah. We're scared to. Yeah. But when I offer forgiveness, no one worries about falling or failing. Yeah. That's, we're not there yet, but boy, do I want to create an environment like that. Yeah. Uh, when I set high standards, people are motivated toward excellence. When I offer forgiveness, people initiate because they're safe. Yeah. And then one last one. When I set high standards, I offer targets to hit that you might not hit without my help. When I offer forgiveness, I offer safety nets to fall into. Yes. So, And when I offer both, people do more than they thought possible because of the standard and the net. The standard and the net. Yeah. That's what it is. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, uh, this is obviously just one of the paradoxes, and it is a powerful one that we need right now. Um, we would encourage you to get out there and actually pre-order this book. So uh, the, eight, the Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership releases on November 2nd, but you do not want to wait until then. Um, if you go ahead and pre-order it now, you get a whole bunch of extra stuff. Um, so let me walk through a couple of these things. You get 10 micro-learning videos. Each of these videos overview the 10 chapters of the book. You get a quiz so you can kind of assess how well you're practicing each of these eight paradoxes. You get a sample chapter so you can start reading the book already. You get a 22-minute video that overviews the book, um, and it's uh, of Dr. Tim Elmore. And then finally, if you pre-order it, us at Growing Leaders, we're going to send you another ebook called Leading a Generation of Paradox. It's all about the paradoxes we face as we lead today's students. They're also growing up in a world that requires some paradox. And so we want to send that to you as well. So you get all of that if you pre-order the book now before it comes out on November 2nd. All you got to do is head on over to timelmore.com slash book. That's timelmore.com slash book, and you can pre-order that right now. Uh, Tim, I think you had a closing story for us. It's one of my favorites that you tell, and it's a perfect example of it this really, paradox. It really is, yeah. So um, just four years before the Golden Gate Bridge started to be built yeah. was the 1929 Rose Bowl, yep. January 1st, 1929. The two teams that were in the Rose Bowl that year were Georgia Tech They've not been in the Rose Bowl for a while. <laughs> yeah. and, and then California. You see University of California, okay? So um, these two teams square off, and it's toward the end of the first half, maybe less than a minute left in the first half. The ball is fumbled, and Roy Regals, who now is famous, Roy Regals, uh, gets the ball. He's on defense at that time, playing for Cal, and he grabs the ball, but he's hit several times. You can imagine trying to break free to run toward the end zone. But when he finally breaks free, he's darting toward the end zone, unbeknownst to him, darting toward the wrong end zone. Oh, no. Yeah. He got the nickname Roy Wrongway Regals. That's I'm, it. I'm guessing he made it to that end zone. Well, almost. Okay. So seconds before the end of the half, the play's still going on. He's running faster and faster because he hears the crowd going, go, go, go. <laughs> but they're not yelling, go, go, go. You know what they're yelling? Stop. <laughs> Well, they're saying, no, no, no. no. All of his fans said, no, no. He finally is tackled just a few yards before scoring for the wrong team. And when he looks up from the grass and sees who tackled him, it's his teammate. Wow. He's embarrassed. Oh, man. He's crushed. He's so humiliated that the gun is fired, sounding off the end of the half. He doesn't even look at anybody. He just puts his head down and runs into the locker room, doesn't want to talk to a soul. You can imagine. I wouldn't either. Well, he gets in there. He's joined by the rest of his teammates. Nobody says a word. 
they can tell this guy is dying. Yeah. He has a towel over his head. He's staring at the concrete floor. Coach Nibs Price was the head coach. Coach Price steps up, gives the halftime talk. It's a good game so far. Doesn't make any mention of what just happened. Doesn't poke fun. Doesn't say, hey, let's try to avoid that next time, Roy. You know, <laughs> he just makes his speech. And then he says this. It's powerful. He says, all right, I want the same team that started the first half start the second half. Well, everybody runs out except for Roy, who stays there just staring at the ground. Coach Price said, Roy, I guess you didn't hear me. I said I want the same team that started the first half, start second. You need to get out there. Well, at this point, Roy looks up, and tears are just streaming down. He's a big old guy. He plays center, but center back then was middle linebacker. They called the, he was the center of the defense. So he's this big linebacker. He's got tears just pouring down his cheeks, and he says, Coach, I can't go out there. I just humiliated our team. I just embarrassed our fans. I don't even know what you're thinking about me, but I can't go out there. And that's when this very wise leader who practiced high standards and gracious forgiveness said this great statement, and I want to paraphrase. He said, Roy, you don't have to go out there, but just remember, if you don't, this is all they're going to remember. Yeah. This is what you'll be remembered for. You have a chance to go out there and play a second half that could undo what you just did. Roy went out. Coach Price said after the game, that's the best second half I've ever seen a player play. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure Everything too. was at stake. <laughs> yeah. The next year, he was team captain, All-American, Roy Regals, that is. But I, I just I get teary when I share that story because I just think, what a coach. How cool that he had the emotional intelligence to say, you don't have to go out. But just remember, you're going to wish you did. Yeah. Because you got a chance. Think about this, teachers, your students who may have just fouled up completely, and you're mad maybe. Maybe you take Coach's Price, Coach Price's stance on this and say, I forgive you. Now get out there and let's do this. Mm. Let's build this Gold Gate Bridge. Uh, you got a safety net. That's I what it. I think they need. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much, Tim, for sharing with us, for inspiring us. Uh, if you found this podcast helpful, please give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you thought of somebody while, while you were listening today, go ahead and pass it on, share it with a friend. Uh, if you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, shoot us an email. Uh, we love getting those, whether it's news stories you think we should talk about or people you think we should interview, just shoot us an email at podcast at growingleaders.com. Tim, thank you so much for leading us. Thank you for writing this book as well. We want you guys to go out there, pre-order the book at timelmore.com slash book. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.